Now, you might have uh, gone along to some of our UNE Cyflix events in the past, Jurassic Park and Gattaca were the last couple. Well, there's another one coming up very soon, and we're very lucky to be joined by the hosts of that event who are going to give us a little bit of a preview. Take it away, guys. Thanks very much. So, yeah, the, I'm, I'm Marissa Betts, and I'm joined with uh, Luke Milan and Tim Chapman, and we're going to talk about the next Cyflix event, which is next week, next Thursday evening, 6 p.m. at the Belgrave Cinema. And this time we're going to watch San Andreas. <laughs> we're all geos. Well, I'm a, I'm a paleo, really. But uh, Luke and Tim are geologists, so they're going to be um, uh, chatting about this film today. Um, uh, you guys, like, what, what's the, what sort of research areas are you into? What are the sort of things that you do at the moment? Uh, well, I'll go first. Hi, everyone. <laughs> I'm Luke. Um, my research really revolves around the edges of plates where they are really dynamic and active, but I look at ancient ones. And so I really try and understand the processes that occur at them. And, you know, things like continents crashing into one another, lots of volcanic eruptions and production of magma and things like that. So I like, I like exciting things, but unfortunately the, the things aren't, it's not as if there's an earthquake today <laughs> or anything. These are ancient, ancient things I study to understand about modern things. Tim? So, yep. Hi, I'm Tim. So the thing that I'm most interested in is uh, sort of mountains, really. And uh, the point where I sort of uh, look at is the roots of them. So the ancient examples where we can see the rocks and they tell us about how those mountains are built, if they're volcanic systems or they're um, things like the Himalayas and try and understand how uh, mountain building processes go on and how we can read that in rocks and minerals. Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it, how I know that you do a lot of work with rocks in thin section, right, mm. and that you can, um, to think about the fact that you can look at a tiny little piece of a rock and it can tell you about these huge processes that lead to building an entire mountain chain, for example. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> it's, sort of, it's minerals to mountains. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, yeah, we, that minerals have store a lot of information and we can determine, yeah, like it, how these happen, these dynamic processes like Luke's interested in, um, to sort of give us a full picture. So, and we put different rocks together, the rocks that might be next to each other, so we'll have different stories that we try to unravel. That's like a big puzzle, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of <laughs> gaps in between. Yes, so, so, <laughs> that's what geology's like. Yeah, yeah. So it's an incomplete puzzle. Do you guys do lots of work around the New England region? Yeah, yeah, no, we're, we're smack bang in one of these active, um, you know, ancient active, it was it was active in the past, but now it's, you know, obviously inactive, but um, it was it was a, an origin that we had a lot of interesting processes, and so, and it's deeply eroded now, so we can, you know, have a look at these rocks that used to be, you know, many kilometres depth, and they can reveal all their mm. internal stories. And so, yes, we are doing research in the area. Um, you know, both Tim and I are looking at, you know, a variety of different rocks from, you know, ancient oceans to major volcanic eruptions and trying to learn about the processes that occurred. Hmm. You're doing lots of sampling around here, Tim, or...? Yeah, yeah, so I do a f reasonable amount of work. Uh, we've been looking at sort of thick volcanic uh, material that have occurred in these big super eruptions up towards um, Inverell and between sort of Inverell and Glen Innes. So we've done a lot of work up there. 
It's crazy um, to think. I mean, uh, the New England area, It's. I think the landscape here is so pretty and beautiful and kind of um, it's quiet. And mm. But to think that there's evidence for these like enormous super eruptions and how like how crazy it would have been. How long ago was that? So this, this was 250 million years ago. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's a place I wouldn't have wanted to be. <laughs> no. that, that's for sure. Uh, it would have been pretty desolate. I think it would have been limited trees and things like around because the eruptions would have sort of yeah. blown, blown it all up. Might have been clouds of ash. Um, and uh, it's right about the time of one of the biggest mass extinction events. Yeah, that's right. And Permian. <laughs> yep. Right? Yep. So the big one. 90, 90, <laughs> about 95% of all... All life. Species died off Absolutely at, at that point. So, yeah. uh, and it w- I think it would have been quite hot. They say, you know, sea surface temperatures might have been into the 30, yeah, right. 30 degrees. So it it's amazing horrible. that you can look into the rock and fossil record and it can tell you, it's that give you, give you the like ways to build this puzzle and put that picture again and mm. together again in your mind. Like, um, I I do a lot of field work in in South Australia, right? In the older part of the Australian um, uh, Craton, I guess, or area. And so coming to New England, um, I really am so keen to learn more about the the rocks that build out Eastern Australia because mm. it does tell you this amazing story about how Eastern Australia had has evolved, and also like traps all of that those really cool details about in Permian mass extinction and mm. um, those huge eruptions and things like that. Mm. So Super I, cool. So I know that well, from my perspective, sometimes looking at the young examples and Luke with the same, we go to, sometimes we go to those active places and it gives you a real better understanding of uh, ancient environments. Yeah. So, um, so what kind of places do you guys visit to do that? Oh, well, by common one is New Zealand. I've done a lot of work in New Zealand. So Very active. Yeah, young volcanoes, <laughs> yeah. Um, big faults there, yep. um, the Alpine Fault. Yeah, yeah. No, New Zealand is a great one. It's so close to us on the edge of the on the edge of the plate. Um, but we've also been to places like Bhutan, um, one of the classic you know continent continent collisions that's still going on. Um, you know, South America. I've spent plenty of time over there looking at things. So yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, and so we are all part of um, a new interdisciplinary geoscientific group, Litholab at UNE, we call Loon. Um, and I guess that's pretty new. We kind of launched it only at the start of the year. Um, and I guess I want to talk about Loon and um, how you guys feel about, feel about the group and what kinds of things that um, you want to achieve with Loon being part of a group. What does it mean for us to have built a group? To because be, we, we've been working together for several years, um, but how do you think putting Loon together has has changed that or is moving that in a different direction? Well, I think it's just good to you know we're doing these things, but we don't you know we're doing them anyway, and so it's good to actually give a name to it and sort of tell students about it and sort of be part of the group. So it's sort of to be more inclusive, and so we're a small group, but you know, we love, you know, we all get along well and talk a lot and sort of um, very open and, and like to do interdisciplinary things. So it's sort of a way of hopefully attracting more students to sort of come and help us out with all mm-hmm. these cool problems that we've got, basically. Mm-hmm. That's my view of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can learn a bit about other disciplines that I probably would have never ventured into. <laughs> but because I've got the benefit of these colleagues here, I, I can. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah, I think that the inclusivity and using diverse skills to solve problems. I think um, 
you know, yeah, the way it is, we commonly end up into small, mm. yeah. s- small fields. That's just the way it is. But um, having people with their different backgrounds and different skill sets m- makes for a much better, um, yeah. better team. And I think um, so too. Better effort to solve the problems. I think. Yeah, yeah. and I, and when we're especially in geoscience, when we're thinking about what the world was like, you know, millions or even billions of years ago. Mm. having lots of um, different ways to gather data about that stuff just helps to build that picture even more, mm. you know. Like I'm a paleo, um, but you guys are, you know, geologists. And we can always build that picture together to make it more clear. Mm. No, um, definitely. Yeah. And, and shed new light on it and go, I've never thought about it that way. Or Yeah. Um, and it comes across from multiple things, not just about a knowledge, but people with coming with different backgrounds into the group. That, yeah. Yeah. Um, look at things different ways that's and true like, yeah and because i guess we're we've always been sort of thinking about doing work in this region and like what you were saying you kind of come at old problems in new ways right like the geology around the new england area has been it is amazing but it's been studied for a long time um and i guess some of the first people to really look at it were people that started geology here at une like and i, I suppose people don't really know that the geology department at UNE has been kicking around since like the 20s or the 30s. It's one Mm. of the oldest, right? Um, And so some of the problems and things that those guys were tackling, we're still tackling today. They still exist. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Your Luke's recent work is classic for that. I think some of the original Australian geologists, people like Edward David and things were looking at. Benson, he used to ride his bike around (laughs) up and down the New England looking at these amazing rocks and... Uh, a whole trove of great work was done on them, but it turns out that there was another hidden story in those rocks, completely different and contrary to what everyone thought. So there's an old additional story. So the the area has a lot of secrets. You know, we were just talking about a project earlier where we can, there's you know, there's some interesting fossils intercalated mm-hmm. with a bunch of rocks, and like all all three of us sort of need to get her and really nut this one out. Like you know, it's. <laughs> Yeah, there's what lots does of, it mean? Yeah, what, what's going on here? So it's 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 also the New England sort of has all these great history about it, but a lot of people sort of neglected for a few years. Only recently, people are sort of coming back and sort of trying to reveal mm. its problems. And there's still a lot of it's a bit of a resurgence, yeah, which is really fun. Yeah, could mm. be part of that. So yeah, it's exciting. Um, and so uh, because um, we've got such a, well, I call it like. Um, a, a geological playground, right? Like, um, why do you think, is that one of the, like, strong reasons that you think that um, teaching at ge- geoscience at UNE is, like, um, really strong? Is that something that um, you use a lot in your teaching? Yeah, it's a huge advantage. I mean, I've come, come from Sydney um, and mm-hmm. we'd have to travel a reasonable way to look at the rocks that I generally want to look at, whereas <laughs> here, you know, the, the to just up the hill or, you well, know. It's, it's three hours like, to get out of sandstone in Sydney. Or yeah. If you want to look at some high-grade metamorphic rocks, it's a full day's drive. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. So whereas we can, you know, in an afternoon, I can show students the inside of a magma chamber, metamorphic rocks around that, um, some young igneous rocks, some mm. mantle rocks, all within an afternoon and mm. things you just, you just cannot do in yeah. most, most of I the... I think we all did our um, undergrads <coughs> in Sydney and I, I did get sick of Triassic sandstone, yeah. I must admit, yeah. Yep. And we did do our field trips up here. Like, yes. you would mm. leg it all the way out here to yeah, right. do the field trips, right? <laughs> yeah. 
But and it's also a nice place to come to do field work. Yeah. As well. Not that you know, Sydney's Sydney, Sydney, but um, you know, you can go out especially to the essentially the Scarpman areas and it's spectacular it's landscape. Uh, mm. and and so it's just pleasing to be in the field for many of the locations as yeah. well. Yeah. Weather can be quite nice as well. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um so with the geoscience teaching side of things, um, I mean, it's not just us, but geoscience everywhere has been affected by COVID and having to teach online. Um, and I suppose that, you know, by this stage, everybody has tackled those problems in all sorts of different ways, you know, and so people kind of understanding limitations and so on and so forth. But like, I wanted to ask you guys what you think about what um, geoscience teaching would look like in a post-COVID world, you know, in have we learned anything from this interval that we would incorporate into the future? Are we doing something better now that we weren't doing in the past? Or is it, we would just go back to the way it was, right? Well, I think UNE has, has long done distance education. So a lot of us in the department were already going down that distance. We would intersperse the entire unit with innovative online teaching. Um, we had to sort of expand on that of course because we couldn't do field work um i notice another a lot of other universities they're just going back to the old model straight away mm. they're just you know um but i think for us i think we're going to have even better mm. online stuff because you know we're, we're that far ahead of the curve already already doing this sort of stuff so we can we can expand on it and have really engaging cool fun online stuff and then do the field work as well Mm. post-COVID when we're all vaxxed and <laughs> hopefully over this thing. Well, and I, you know, and I think it also, those innovations are very important, you know, and even for for work we do, if we're going, if we're going out to do some research, you know, we've used so many tools mm. now, like Google Earth or iPads or something like that, mm. um, or yeah. fancy photogrammetry. So those tools are all actually becoming more and more important. So they should also be part of the teaching and those online mediums actually presenting the best platform for that to put you in an even better place when you do come up and go in the field yeah um, yeah and it practices, gets people yeah. like excited right to mm. come to the field so you give people all of these sort of juicy online experiences and so you know when the opportunity does come to come to the campus and mm. go to all these amazing places that you guys were talking about then you know that just adds it's like the cherry on the cake right yep yeah it just adds to that experience yeah um, we're getting through the interview now. <laughs> Probably chatting too much. Let's talk about the movie next week. Um, so San Andreas. Have you guys seen San Andreas? Yes. Yes. Okay. Cool. I didn't <laughs> think that you'd seen it, Luke. I th- maybe well, I, did I you didn't, make sure? I did a bit of homework. Oh, well I'd, done. I thought I'd get in there and do a bit of research on the topic. I thought it was the I thought it was the Rock that dragged you in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, that's mate, why I, you I, I got it. dragged in by for the Rock, and then I realised <laughs> it was oh, I was an actor. <laughs> <laughs> I thought there was some famous Rock that. I going to learn about but <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking <laughs> and so um, do you love the film how do you feel about it what did uh, did it did it move you um, it's like <laughs> yeah I'm I'm quite a movie critic so that's just that's just who I am but I did enjoy it exploring geology anything that explores geology mm. I applaud because geology is something that's just um, not very well taught not very well, you know, people aren't very well educated mm. and that's just because it's not really well taught in high school and primary school. But So I really enjoyed that it explored um, some interesting action. Okay, it's things that are, cause a lot of death and destruction, but, 
Um, I, as a geologist, it's it's you know it's almost a little bit pornographic, a little bit. Like, <laughs> but um, yeah, so I I, I I enjoyed it. Yeah, I so thought it was quite a spectacle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, hey, you, every helicopter pilot. <laughs> 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 they just need to be wearing really tight shirts. Yes. Without sleeves. <laughs> they, they, <laughs> sleeves always get in the way of flying a helicopter. <laughs> so the movie, I mean, it's called San Andreas, of course, so it's about the San Andreas fault. Um, and, you know, like there's probably a few people in the world who wouldn't mind seeing Los Angeles kind of break off and slide into the Pacific, right? But is it possible? Is that something like that actually possible? Is it, are we science fiction or science fact here? Like, where are we? The movie, yeah, um, it was overblown. Mm. Yeah, so I, I think a lot of the carnage, um, like you know, we we don't live in a, a real earthquake prone country, so we're we're probably not quite uh, as aware as people are in these in these countries in that area um, are. And so the building code is amazing. Like the buildings are actually they slide uh. on things and they they're designed to move. And so the destruction and the carnage in that movie is is overblown. Like the buildings just don't just fall over like that. Like <laughs> they can withstand it, you know. And you know, dams are there bridges that can expand. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Isn't it's, that amazing? it's amazing. There's all different design. The whole building actually can move like yeah. a meter. They try oh and they try and balance the harmonics. Yeah. As the building shakes. Yeah. Just make so sure it doesn't, uh, yeah. So that that aspect. Um, I, I don't really think a tsunami would occur on mm-hmm. a, a fault that's so far inland. I okay. think you'd have to have a different type of tectonic setting to actually cause a tsunami. I think that's a bit overblown mm-hmm. as well. well and also the San Andreas Fault is mainly um, moving side yes. to side. There's not much up and down. It's Indeed, up and down yes. is, the, is the dangerous one. You're yeah. exactly right. And, and and it's inland. So I think mm. the tsunami thing, while it's it's the what they're showing was true. Yes, you do see like the tide going out rapidly and then... Mm-hmm. Lots of carnage. That that is a true representation. But yeah, it was they Hollywoodified everything. <laughs> yeah, and for for your entertainment and the usual sort of displacement on those faults is usually on the on the meter scale. Right. I think um, this was like full blown kilometers, kilometers and the yeah. whole thing. Just, and, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the predicting the prediction. You know. Um, you know. There was this magnetic pulsing prediction. Uh-huh. That just. Is, is a fallacy. We can't predict them. Not at mm. all? We, we, we know for sure. Like, we can say there will be a serious earthquake in this area, but mm. we cannot... There's been multiple things where people have actually tried all these different methods, measuring gases out of faults, mm-hmm. um, you know, monitoring birds, all sorts of things, but no one's actually definitively about to say there is going to fault is going to occur here. Yeah, they can, they can look at risks. Him. Mm. and do probabilistic things and that's as good as you get but it could happen tomorrow and you wouldn't know mm. mm-hmm. like the you know. I know for the Alpine Fault they've looked in the historical record and shown that it's quite systematic and about mm. a 250 to 300 year cycle oh right you know and the last one was 1750 something I think yep. or, you know in this so oh. you, essentially it's in that zone for a mm. big one oh. so they know that there's probably going to be a greater than seven magnitude so worse than the Christchurch mm. event I see. Um, coming, coming. Mm. But when that specifically yes. is, could be 50 years, could be mm. tomorrow. I guess that's some, that uncertainty makes for good um, action in a film, right? Mm. Like yeah. it comes out of nowhere and grabs you. Yep. Well, did you know that there was an earthquake the other day in the, in the local region, Marissa? And I mm. had no Tim, idea. Tim alerted me to that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Tell us about it, Tim. <laughs> yeah. So there, there was 
the at at Yarra Week. So oh really? Not far from Yarala, um, yeah. ten kilometres from Yarala. There was a two point yeah. two point eight um, magnitude earthquake. About a kilometre depth, apparently. Yeah. And oh. people felt shaking in Armidale and Urella. 34 people reported to Geoscience oh. Australia. Mm. I must have been having a nap that afternoon. I was I at 10, 10 p.m., I think. Oh, I was definitely asleep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, so even in Australia, we different times have had earthquakes. They, they're a different style yes, of earthquakes. Like, so what's causing something like that? Because we're not at a plate boundary. Yeah, so the, the but we're sitting on a big tectonic plate mm-hmm. that will has to flex yeah okay in some ways it's got a lot of stress in it yeah Mm -hmm. and so the stress builds up to a point and we'll get an earthquake and so commonly they're fairly low magnitude yeah um certainly less than five most of the time less than three um but you know like newcastle if it happens in a in special circumstances maybe in sandy areas you can actually get a, a magnification of the wave effect oh and and that's what contributed to newcastle being uh, and also our buildings, like Luke said, are not not designed for... That increases the damage. Yeah. Okay. So that Newcastle, a lot of things crumbled I see. on those effects, mm. and that's why it was so devastating. Um, yeah. I see. Um, okay, so we've only got a little while left, but I wanted to, I guess, touch on something that you said earlier, Luke, about... Um, geoscience in films right like and you know like you were saying that in this movie the geoscience isn't quite like spot on but um even if it is a bit dodgy the science presented in the film is there still like some merit or whatever to um portraying these sorts of things in movies oh definitely like i think a lot of people um you know we they know a lot about the natural environment and the living things in it but they don't really know about this planet that's underneath their legs and underneath their feet and they're sitting on and we rely on every day. So anything, you know, this this movie really does teach people a little bit that the earth does move and it, it's, not mm. a, it's not a stationary, boring rock, mm. um, you know, rotating around the sun or something like that. You know, it is, it is an active planet. And so anything like that, I think is, you know, it's a positive thing because people are learning, even though it's, you know, it's made very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> and it also shows the role geologists have. That's one role yes, that many yeah, geologists have exactly. looking at natural hazards. There are, you know, even you yeah. know, there are there are geologists hired all around the world to to look at, you know, these these really serious. These are really serious issues. Like you know, there's there's a lot of lives at risk here. So there's people like Geoscience Australia. They have a whole room just monitoring the Pacific for tsunamis and earthquakes, and it's it's quite a serious thing. And and if they hit hit a red button. The warnings go out and everyone, you know, the cavalry gets ready to, you know, for, for a disaster. Um, so it's quite a serious thing. And there's, you know, even with airlines, like, you know, airlines hire, they're not there's many planes flying at the moment, <laughs> but yeah, airlines hire geologists to actually monitor volcano risks, you know, eruption mm-hmm. risks and things like that on satellites. Yeah, and, of course. Um, you know, there's, there's, you know, geology is... We're really intertwined with our planet, but we don't. It's really fundamental. Know it. it is well, very fundamental. We rely yeah. on it for everything, you know, mm. from concrete to buildings to you know our mobile phone. 
Um, so anything that teaches people about Earth is... Yeah, I was sort of thinking even to the point of like, well, if they're portraying plate tectonics, right, that's important. Mm. But plate tectonics is, is a really hugely mm. fundamental mm. scientific concept. Yeah. Yeah. And in a world where there are still people who believe the Earth is flat, right? Mm. Yeah. Like it, something like that is quite cool. Well, when <laughs> in San Andreas, I've been to uh, further up towards San Francisco where the San Andreas Fault continues. Oh, yeah. They wanted to put a nuclear power plant across the uh, plate boundary there. <laughs> uh, and this is in the 60s. And thankfully, the geologists had plate tectonic theory had started of to course. come through at that point. They said, this is a bad idea. You're actually oh. on the Pacific plate, not even on the North American plate. Mm. Oh, so, my goodness. You know, so those fundamental things to be like... Dodged a bullet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Well, it's pretty amazing that we only really realised how our planet works, you know. In the 60s, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, had a lot of ideas, but we only, it's one of the biggest sort of advancements in science, uh, and it wasn't that long ago. Mm. That is wild to think mm. that, like, the people that taught us, mm. a lot of the people they that taught us, grew up in that. They, yeah, yeah, they, like, plate tectonics was a new concept. You mm-hmm. know, it's something that came through when they were studying geology. Like, it blows my mind. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, one last question. It could be a bit of a, a tricky one. So, um, if you could write or direct your own uh, geoscientifically themed um, action blockbuster, <laughs> yeah. what would your movie be about? Oh, um, one of the most um, visceral <laughs> things I've ever experienced, and I immediately thought, "This is I can make a you can make a mad movie out of this." I was down underground in a corkscrew underneath the ground somewhere in central New South Wales. and A know, corkscrew, go, like in a yeah, mine or something? Yeah, like so a corkscrew drive into the ground oh. about a kilometre underneath the Jeez. earth. So it's just a corkscrew. You just drive in circles for about 15 minutes and then all of a sudden you're about one point something kilometres. Like over. in a car? Yeah, in a, in a full drive. It's oh. an underground mine. Okay. It was an underground mine. <laughs> so we're driving down the drive and we're deep in the earth. And um, we get out of the car and it's dark and eerie. And then this big truck rolls past and it's like engine the size of a house in it and it's like shaking your body. And I was like, you know, you could have a mad horror movie. <laughs> Just imagine the sound effects and like some, some you know, crazy virus that comes out of the earth or some someone goes mad and you can have it underground. I, I don't know. There's only one way in and out. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just like it's really something foreign. You're like, mm. you're like an explorer. You're looking yeah. at the earth in another way. And, you know, it's really interesting being underground. It's a very unique experience that unless you've been underground, you don't really know. And yeah. I think a, a modern movie, you could really explore that. Mm. Yeah, and it's it, a strange you know, feeling. I've mm. only ever been like 15 metres underground. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I was still was like, I don't want to think about that. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, so I've I've been underground a lot of times and I often think about, you know, how good a like a thriller movie you can make. <laughs> yes. So that's me. I don't know about yes. Tim. Yes. Have you thought about it, Tim? I was more th- I mine's a bit more um maybe less educational. <laughs> possibly. I, I I'd be interested to see what would happen uh when the um magnetic pulse swapped. Oh, that would be cool. Uh, uh so so explain that to So the, in essence our yes. um our magnetic poles have been this way, but in the past they swap around yeah, so that the the, the North Pole become the South Pole, or the magnetic North Pole become. Oh, uh, that's will great! Be at the South Pole. That's yeah, a great be, idea. It could be a movie about homing pigeons. Yeah, you know. <laughs> or but all that communication yeah, like, so system happens, and then yeah. there's this big homing pigeon competition, <laughs> and they get lost. Exactly. Yeah, and all, yeah. and and we have these. Yeah 
the the <laughs> no, the, I'm joking. <laughs> the, the, mag, the magnetic um, field of Earth is very important for protecting yeah. from solar um, radiation and things like this, and solar yeah. flares. So yes. people don't know. We've never ex- we've never experienced what would happen. Well, the d- the, the film The Core kind of touches on what happens when it disappears completely, and ha- we just right? use a nuclear bomb. To yeah, start we it just back up again. we have to like drill down. <laughs> so actually, it kind of combines both of your films essentially because. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I should watch it. So, yeah, because then you could be stuck underground and all these changes happen and the homing pigeons come in. Oh, yes. (laughs) Why are they going underground? I don't know. I'll have to watch it. (laughs) (laughs) The homing pigeons, it makes it seem like it could be a bit of a comedy, you know, like. Well, you do work. That on was a joke. I, I think you could make it better than that. But, but you, you've done work on animals that have magnetic. Yes, receptors, so I mean, I love your idea, Tim. I'm yeah. very much behind that. Yeah, because um, and the no one really knows how long it takes for the flips to happen, right? Yep. So, um, and how long maybe they would sort of hover at the the equator. There are so many different um, animals that rely on the magnetic field for orientation, and not just orientation, but like full blown migrations, mm. right? Um, birds do it, of course, but even lobsters um, right. and turtles, whales, of course, mm. will do it. Um, and so, yeah, I did spend quite a lot of time doing some reading about this topic, and I found some really crazy papers. Um, one was about, uh, and we're getting way off topic now, <laughs> but one was about um, someone did some research on dogs and found out that um, when they go to the bathroom, they do it on a north-south axis. Um, so they had lots of data about um, <laughs> dogs going to the bathroom. There you but go. yeah, every every um, phylum essentially has okay. a, has some. So we can combine it with some sort of Sharknado or. Oh yes! Oh my god! Yeah, yeah the possibilities are endless. <laughs> All right, we better wrap up. Thank you guys so much for chatting, um, and do make sure you come down to the Belgrave next Thursday, six pm for San Andreas.